Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Billy Epler is the new general manager of the New York Mets. Uh, Billy has over 20 years of experience in the game, a variety of positions, including assistant general manager, general manager, uh, tremendous and lengthy experience uh, in the New York market. Uh, He understands the challenges uh, that New York represents in terms of its fans who are knowledgeable and passionate and demanding. I'm tremendously excited to be here and and be part of the Mets organization. Um, I'd like to thank Steve and and Alex Cohen for giving me this opportunity Uh, in our conversations as as we went through this this process and this dialogue. it, It was evident every step of the way. Uh, that they're committed to to building a, a championship caliber organization from from top to bottom. I'm thrilled to be here because you know, along with the 2009 World Series championship, uh, this is a this is a career highlight for me. Um, and uh, and again, um, to the fans, we have a sizable list of things to do right now, from a managerial hire to coaching staff hires to free agency and, and trade market. Um, we're going to kick it into high gear um, as soon as we actually wrap up here today. So thanks. Um, thanks for, for hanging with me through this process. And again, I look forward to, uh, to getting to work here with, uh, with everybody throughout baseball operations. The one thing as a Mets fan, what you want in your general manager and a manager for that standpoint is that you care about the team as much as I do. You know, they want to know when they wake up that this guy's, he's touching every uh, possible angle to make the Mets better. Are you engaged? Does it mean as much to you as it does to them? They're the one that gets up and reads their, all the Mets transactions and thinks about the offseason, what's going on, have you. And they got somebody like that in Billy because Billy, Billy's engaged and he loves to compete. And, uh, 
and they also think they got a real ethical guy who, uh, you know, is going to do the right moral thing uh, as a tiebreaker. Yeah, I was going to say, how long have you known Billy Epler? What can you tell me about him as a baseball major? Tell me he's a moral well, guy. I, I, I think, he's a baseball you know, guy. I, I've had conversations with Billy in the past, but mostly just pure baseball. But mm -hmm. everybody that I respect thinks the world of him. So that's one of those interesting things because Billy has all of the qualities to be good at this. But sometimes you have all the qualities to be good at something, but the job is a, this is a monster. Like, Buck and I have been around a long time. It was not this monster in the past. It used to be you were in charge of, like, the major league uh, roster, et cetera. I mean, think of all the places you have to be expert or hire good experts. Sports science, analytics, you know, like, you're just a lot of fields. There's a lot of hiring he's got to do. He's got to do a ton of human resources while also looking for players mm. for the 2022 Mets. And to me, Billy has, like, if we were running down the list, but in his one shot, it didn't go well. Did it not go well because, to Buck's point, we don't know everything that's going on in the inner workings of a team that makes it difficult in some places to succeed. Or did it not go well because he's not, he, maybe he's a great number two, but not a great number one. And so that's why I'm saying today's the honeymoon day. Yeah. Everybody loves everybody on their honeymoon, right? They just got married, Should, yeah. like, and they say nice things. If we went to every press conference ever done, it's some repeat of this. But if, and if now we find out, can you do the job or not? Can you be the number one? My takeaways from Billy Epler's initial news conference as the Mets general manager uh, were many. Epler was available for a long time, answered a number of questions. But I know that what a lot of Mets fans have been wondering about is going to be that dynamic internally with any new GM and Sandy Alderson. That dynamic's pretty clear. Epler will be reporting to Alderson, but as proven and evidenced by the way that Alderson handled Zach Scott over the course of last season, he is not interested in running baseball operations day-to-day. Epler has done the job. He will, of course, talk about big-picture things with Alderson and lean on Alderson, but Epler is going to be the guy running the meetings. Epler is going to be the guy running points with agents and on trade talks, and he will be the guy fully empowered to run baseball operations, and I'm told will be empowered to make final decisions. Two of those major decisions coming up right down the pike here will be regarding the acquisition of free agent pitching and the hiring of a manager. Both of those are operating on parallel tracks that will begin any minute now if they haven't already. Epler wants to huddle with his own staff, with the people he's getting to know internally with the Mets, find out what they want in a manager. Then they're going to come up with some candidates, reach out, reach out to some guys, and work on that. At the same time as he's doing that, He's looking for starting pitching. He's already texting and talking with agents from their own Marcus Stroman to, I'm sure, Kevin Gosman, Max Scherzer. Everything's on the table. And speaking of everything's on the table, and I think this should be the main takeaway to Mets fans about this offseason, is that this team is prepared to spend and be aggressive in ways that you are not used to. Steve Cohen behaved himself with the luxury tax in his first offseason as Mets owner. He has no such intentions of behaving himself in that way now. Alderson's ready to okay spending. Uh, Cohen's ready to write the checks. And Billy Epler has been told, build a team. Because the only way to do this over the next couple years with a thin farm system is to do it by checkbook. That's how the Dodgers built their bridge years ago under the new ownership. And that's how the Mets are about to build their bridge now. They're going to blow by that luxury tax, and you're going to see a lot of new players, a lot of new free agents in Flushing whenever the baseball season starts.
It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Saturday, November the 21st, 2021. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can show it up on podcast, Spotify, Amazon Music, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. And check out our friends over at Fansided as we are part of the Fansided Podcasting Network. And check out RisingApple.com. Great content over there with those guys. Well, you heard from a bunch coming into this uh, program. Welcome into another edition of the show, Day Early. So much going on in Metsland. Busy week, busy day yesterday. And I thought that a little lengthy intro, a little feel of the day in Metsland, as you heard from Sandy Alderson, you heard from owner Steve Cohen. You heard from maybe a future Mets manager, Buck Showalter, over at the MLB Network, along with Joel Sherman of the New York Post, and then Andy Martino of SNY. I think that synopsis really set up our show. And you're going to hear from a new voice and a guest and somebody that uh, would know very well what happened out in Anaheim with Billy Epler. But Jeff Fletcher... Angels beat reporter for the OC Register, Orange County Register. Had a chance to catch up with him earlier in the week, so you'll hear that conversation in just a little bit. I think you'll find it interesting, and I think it'll give you a better feel of Billy Epler. I think as you get into this show, and I always pride myself on being very balanced, and I know that sometimes that comes across as being polarizing because Either I'm being accused of taking the company line, which there is no company line. I don't work for the Mets. And just because I like to see the Mets do well and I grew up a Mets fan, does it mean that I'm going to water down this product for that? Or you get accused of taking a polar opposite opinion just to take a polar opposite opinion and, and all that stuff. And all along, I did not expect to be where we are today with this hire. I didn't expect Billy Epler to get hired. And I didn't expect anybody like Billy Epler to get hired. Somebody who has uh, experience, uh, a failed resume, who doesn't necessarily, even though he's a younger guy, he's not an older guy. I mean, he's, I don't know exactly how old he is, but he's not hes not 30 years old, let's put it that way. Uh, you know, somebody who I don't think, and it's funny because in the Yankees years, the book, former, book by former Yankees manager Joe Torre, Epler was kind of put into the new age, no heartbeat stat crowd, and I don't see that at all, especially after listening to his press conference uh, yesterday. I didn't expect to be here. Uh, I thought Adam Cromie and what who Adam Cromie was, and I've been talking over the last couple of weeks about how the Mets are handing the organization over analytics, and it's about the organization, and Steve Cohen and, and Sandy Alderson, especially because they're having trouble recruiting a big name, and potentially getting somebody of of any kind of uh, star rising that, you know, we would have just saw an Adam Cromie. We'd be talking about how he's part of the bigger organization. I called it baseball socialism, and it's almost about the community, and you build the organization, and, you know, just like middle managers in a company, you slide them in, and away you go. And I couldn't have been more wrong, and I said that less than a week ago because what I asked for, what I wanted to see, out of this search was I wanted to see somebody that had a scouting background. And I talked about that. Somebody who had a very deep background in scouting. 
Uh, I didn't really say experience was necessary because I didn't expect somebody who was a prior general manager to come here, have experience, and have not only the necessary scouting chops, but be able to be a candidate that's not stale or couldn't move forward with some of the new age thought processes out there with health science and analytics. And I think Billy Epler called it probabilistic thinking. And I thought it was very interesting how he looked at winning a championship. And we'll get to that because he, he talked a little bit about how, you know, the probabilities even for the best teams aren't great. But if you look, and it's not hard to find, you could go up, look like any other job, you could go over to LinkedIn these days and you see that he started as an area scout in Colorado and an assistant director of player development and scouting. So he has, even when he went over to the Yankees in 2004, he has that operational type of experience, which, you know, I talked about in a prior program, how it's important, but it's not enough. And and then he spent a lot of time in scouting with the New York Yankees. Uh, uh, you know, as much as we could laugh and make fun and how the media overrates their prospects and how they market their prospects, and they do, and they've been successful at it. So it, it's, it's easy to see what they do, but still, they have been able to be a very successful organization, even in times where the money wasn't always flowing. And you have to give them credit on that. Uh, and he ascended to assistant GM, not easy in that organization, under Brian Cashman, a guy that's been in this town a long time. I mean, talk, we've been talking about Brian Cashman since the late 90s. Some of you listening may not have been alive when Brian Cashman took over the New York Yankees. Uh, so he sees all that, and then he goes out to Anaheim, and he works for what? And we'll hear from Jeff Fletcher over at the OC Register in a little bit. A very difficult owner, expectations, similar to the Mets in the shadows of the Dodgers, similar to the Mets, maybe an owner that didn't always want to invest in other parts of the organization or owner that liked winning back pages but maybe not building a team, had a lot of issues there in terms of winning, had some off-the-field stuff, which I'll get to in a minute, which I'm surprised that we're going to blame a GM for the death of a player that is part of a more larger picture issue in society when it talk about opiate abuse it's crazy to think that okay well he he's got he's the problem well we could go deep on that and that's not what this program is about so we're sitting here and i'm like as i think about and i listen to epler talk and i hear him talk about his belief in scouting how one of his mentors was gene michael i mean think about how revered gene michael is in this town for the guy that was able to turn the Yankees around at a time when nobody thought the Yankees would ever. And anybody who was alive back then, trust me on this. This is not from a, a Mets fan talk. Nobody thought the Yankees would ever be functional or a winner under George Steinbrenner. Never. He was James Dolan before James Dolan was James Dolan. And even as late as 95, late that season, I remember listening to talk radio hosts saying the Yankees will never win under George Steinbrenner. And Gene Michael not only won, he won big, he built the dynasty, he stuck around pretty much until the day he died. I had a chance to meet Gene Michael once. What a presence uh, out out in Trenton, uh, at a Trenton Thunder game. A friend of the program, uh, I'll keep that part secret, introduced me to Gene Michael, and we had a five-minute conversation, but uh, such a presence to be around basically baseball royalty. And to hear him talk about how Michael, Gene Michael, talked about to, to look at not just 
the players' numbers or or their how they're built and whatnot, but look how they conduct themselves on the on-deck circle, how they move on the field. And I'm listening to Billy Epler talk about that, and I'm actually, you know, saying that I like the hire more and more. I didn't know what to think about it because I told you, once you don't have access to the transcendent candidate, you really start to say, I'll throw a blanket on them and they're all the same. Kind of what I said about the, the managers at this point. If you don't get an experienced manager. But even as a GM, I don't think Billy Epler would have been looked at as the guy that's part of the, okay, the established GM that's no longer employed that you could bring in here and feel good about. And the more I heard him talk, and I said, you know, the guy gets it. The guy gets what I'm looking for. Can he be successful? You heard what Joel Sherman said on uh, coming in. So much more to the job than just the big league roster. Frank Cashin, may may his soul rest in peace. Uh, he was, you know, we've been talking about him because uh, of Once Upon a Time in Queens. He didn't have a tenth of the responsibility that Billy Epler is going to have with this team. All the different things he has to go through. A demanding owner, a demanding uh, press, a demanding fan base, a paranoid fan base. So he's got a big job, that that's for sure. What I liked about him during the press conference, and I know what everyone's going to say, and Joel is right, Joel said it coming in. And I say it all the time. You can't. If you lose the press conference in this town, you got a long, long road ahead. You can't. You could only. You could only blow the press conference. You, you, you didn't get a lot of meat and potatoes in terms of what you know happened with Callaway and Tyler Skaggs. You know, nobody cares about that. That had to be asked because the media feels like they're the arbiter of of behavior and morality and virtue signaling and all that stuff. You didn't get a lot of who he's going to hire as a manager other than what he looked for. In-game tacticians seem to float to the top. I mean, he talked about some other things like Clubhouse, like the media, things you've heard on here. Go back and listen if you have a chance. It's on Facebook, the replay of the press conference. Where have you heard some of the things that Billy Epler is looking at? You heard it here. He talked about probabilistic thinking, more of an analytic mind. I think blending all that is really important. I don't think it's either or, and he mentioned that. So you didn't hear a lot about who that would be, but you heard what he would look for. And he didn't really get into too many player desires other than there's money to spend. That more came from Cohen. So the more you heard about him, but what I liked the best is that he addressed every person, even those that I was like, does he really know them? Newer uh, writers. Hey, nice to see you. Thanks for coming out. I know that that is corny. But it's going to go a long way with the press corps. They've got to feel good about who they're working with. Sandy Alderson is pretty much a lawyer. He talks down to you. He's got this dry sense of humor. You never feel like you're being, you know, he's honest with you. Zach Scott was too new. And I always said this. He always felt like he was kind of miscast, like, you know, this this college guy or this middle manager from corporate America being thrust into there. I didn't get a chance to really know much about Jared Porter. I think Brody Van Wagenen was too corporate and too slick and too, um, you know, Jerry Maguire for them from the start. Even though I think he was treated unfairly and I, he didn't bother me. I don't think that they liked him. They needed somebody and the media needs somebody that they could connect with. And especially for the longtime writers who have some of the biggest knives out in this town, they should at least know Epler from his Yankee days and give him some, I don't want to say pass, but give him some leeway in saying, hey, this guy, 
has experience. He has the skills. And you heard Joel Sherman say that on the MLB Network. Now can he bring it all together? Everybody, I, I, I laugh because everybody has this vision where, and, and it's funny because you want to build an organization from the ground up, brand new general manager, hotshot candidate, young analytical mind, and you want to be the Astros, you want to be the Cubs, you want to be all these different guys. And I'm saying to myself, throughout the history of the sport, every sport, that's not always how it it went. Whitey Herzog was a manager and a general manager throughout his career, left the Mets. He went to Texas. They were awful over there. You know, he wasn't a star off the bat. You know, Billy Martin, I know you're going to laugh, gets fired. Uh, who the heck was really Frank Cashin when Frank Cashin was hired? I mean, he's an old newspaper man. I mean, really. So I, I laugh a little bit about how, you know, this guy is almost looked at as yesterday's news. He's still youngish. He's got a ton of experience, and he's got the qualities and skills that you're looking for. He may not be a sexy name. He may not be a politically correct hire because I know that that's important to people to have somebody of race or gender in this spot. That's not – social engineering is not what the general manager's job is about, okay? You want to have your diverse cabinet and you want to have different people, you can have them, but you have them if they earn the job. And I think the best thing you could say on that front with Billy Epler is that he's looking to be inclusive in terms of listening to his cabinet of people and getting different opinions. And he seems – and I didn't think it was phony, and I got a pretty good phony meaner. Watching him interact with the press, I think he's a pretty genuine guy. He really is. So there's really nothing not to like after the press conference. But I'm more bullish now than I would have been just a couple of days ago when it was a concept. I'm actually glad I delayed coming to you. I was going to come to you right after the Syndergaard news. And I was going to do a similar show. But... I was going to do a show which I think was more conceptual. And now that I got a chance to hear him, I feel better about him. I don't know if he's going to be successful. And certainly there's a lot of factors about why he wasn't successful in Anaheim. Uh, He had certainly a budget. He was able to land big free agents. Of course, the owner and the owner's money plays into that. He did not have a good farm system. His drafts didn't pan out. It sounds like some of it was player development and investment in new uh, player development methods and investment in part of the other parts of the organization. And you even heard Steve Cohen talk about it, where you know the the, the organization was under understaffed or maybe underinvested in when he came in, and they're changing that. I mean, he's coming into an analytics department of thirty people. You can't necessarily ask for more than that in that aspect. I'm sure he's going to look at scouting from it because of his background. He's got people in here who have been here a while from that uh, standpoint. And Tommy Tanis, he does have Alderson's son and Ian Levin who have become kind of Darth Vader and Emperor Palpatine in terms of uh, the media. I don't know why. I mean, that's a Star Wars reference. Maybe you don't get it. Maybe you do. Maybe it's funny. Maybe it's dorky. I threw it out there. I'm like, I can't believe those two guys are like the dark side here in terms of everything. Um, but The one thing Billy Epler said yesterday, which really outlines not only how tough the job is. Remember, I've said all along, you need someone who comes in who understands that this is not only a tough job, winning is tough in this sport, especially with the multi-tier playoff tiers uh, and all the things that could get in the way. But uh, you're dealing with an organization that has some good bones, has a rabid fan base, similar to the 2000 Red Sox, but has this yoke of failure around their neck. He addressed that to a certain degree, saying some things happened over the last 10 years that you know, could be maybe boiled down to depth, but it, sometimes it's just bad luck. And even Steve Cohen said luck plays into it. 
But he had pointed out that when you go into a season, the best team, let's take the Dodgers, not the Braves, because I don't know if the Braves, they're certainly the champions. I don't know if they're the best team. The Dodgers, the Rays, teams that on paper are the best team, probably have a 15 to 16% chance of winning the World Series. Think about that. The best team, the, the best team that has all the things that the media checks off on their boxes, that's getting all the good press, that's getting all the expectations put on them, still will probably fail 85% of the time. And that includes his former team that was expected to win, was winning our misery, the New York Yankees. And he was there for post-dynasty expectations and wins and failures. And he mentioned 2009. So the next tier, the good teams, which you hope the Mets could this year potentially be, have maybe a 10, 11, 12% chance. So they have a 90, 90% chance of failure. So we talk as Mets fans and in the media, like the Mets are this utter disgrace failure. When if you go by that kind of mindset, and that's kind of how you got an inkling as to how teams look at decision-making, saying, how am I increasing my chances of winning? What am I giving up? And if I give up this prospect, am I really getting closer or am I just doing a lot of window dressing or making a marginal improvement? Everybody's got an 85 to 90% chance of walking out as a failure. Now, all the window dressing and the narrative and how you feel about failure plays into good failure and bad failure and hope and no hope. But it was interesting. That's what this guy's faced with. And certainly being under 500 in Anaheim, and not being able to develop a farm system and not being able to make the playoffs with the best player in the sport and the most dynamic new player in the sport, Nartani. I laugh because, again, it's baseball. It's not the NBA. If it was an NBA team, I would say that's a big problem. In baseball, it's one guy. You all probably play fantasy baseball. You get the best player. You, you draft Mike Trout, number one in your draft. Does that mean you're going to win your fantasy league? Of course not. There's so much more to winning in baseball. It's a selfish, individualistic sport in the concept of a team. So here's what I will say. I don't know if Billy Epler is going to work out. And I am not, not going to sit here and tell you that this is the perfect hire because I didn't know all the other people he interviewed. And Steve Cohen said he was keeping it private. And he, he handled that question very well. I thought Steve Cohen was outstanding with the media. Everybody, with the exception of Alderson, who doesn't like being himself, was open, honest themselves and answered things without giving away information that was inappropriate. I, I don't think anybody in the media could complain. I know I saw some people say it was a, a a snow job press conference. It was a Twinkie Fest. That's what press conferences are. Whether you're in sports, politics, corporations, what do you think? You're going to go there and get on there? You think this is 60 Minutes? You think this is hard-hitting journalism? You think this is Frost-Nixon? That is a dated term, right? It's not. I'll say this also. I don't know if he's going to be successful. I'm rooting for him. He, 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 I like him. My initial impression is that I like him from that, from that press conference. I'm also putting it out there right now. Anybody that you listen to in the media that is focused on Mickey Calloway's hiring Tyler Skaggs' overdose and death as reasons why this guy is a suspicious candidate, doesn't know anything about society on a larger level, doesn't understand, and you heard Joel Sherman say it, look at all the things that he's responsible for and people he put in place. 
You criticize the Mets for taking eight weeks to do due diligence, but then you say, did you do your due diligence to make sure that every person he's interacted with since eighth grade didn't get offended? You can't have it both ways. Tyler Skaggs' overdose is a much bigger issue in society than any general manager for any team could put a handle on. If you think guys that do those things are doing it in the clubhouse overtly and are doing it necessarily where everybody knows, then you don't understand that. That's a difficult thing. And maybe there are things that players players are probably more inclined to know what's going on than the GM, manager, things like that. Very very difficult to solve and very difficult to wrap your arms around. So that's all I'm going to say on that. If you're going to get mad about some clubhouse assistant giving out a spider tack to people, well, guess what? Uh, I knew about that. I've talked about that. I tweeted about that, that Jert Cole was doing it. Everybody knew about it. I knew a, my scout friend said that the Astros were teaching it. And this is way before that story came out. That's just, just, just ridiculous. Anything that's negative from a non-baseball standpoint the Skaggs thing, the spider attack. That, you know, this is the with the stuff that David off in the post brings up. Uh, Callaway's uh, penchant for ladies. You know, not things that are concerning to me on any point. I definitely think the Skaggs situation is a awful situation. There's a lawsuit out there, probably part of why he can't talk about it. But I do not think, short of him handing the drugs to the player or seeing him do it, or knowing that he was doing it and not trying to get him any kind of help. Maybe they did, maybe they didn't. And you can't force that. You can't suspend people for suspicion. I don't see that as an issue. And I'm sure that, that the Mets did whatever they had to do to make sure that that didn't become an issue. You think this owner, worth all this money, with all this profile in the financial world, is going to bring another person in willy-nilly. He clearly didn't because he told you he didn't. Without full information, and there's information out there, other than the Athletic or the Post or some child that works for the Daily News coming out with some loosely sourced fantasy, and I think you saw that a lot of the information you got throughout the process was bad. Steve Cohen basically dispelled a lot of that. It doesn't matter. Start to look at real news. Start to put aside the people. You should have learned over the last few weeks who the people are that are giving you good information and who the people are are that are creating fantasy stories. And if you don't know that by now, you're not paying attention, you should start to because you're going to enjoy the coverage of this team a heck of a lot better. So Billy Epler, great press conference. I'm bullish on the future. A lot of work to do. Checks the boxes that I was looking for. And this is the best I've felt about this team in a while, probably since uh, the All-Star, the trade deadline. It was a bad eight weeks. It's been a rough couple of years. Uh, I hope that we're not doing. I know we there's a, a, a manager search coming up that you know obviously is going to be a big part of uh, the equation here, and that's one of the first things he's going to have to do, along with figuring out if Stroman and Baez are going to come back. And I know Stephen Matz's name is out there, and with the December first date looming, pitchers are falling off the board. We'll get to that in a minute, and uh, away you go. So it's been a bad couple of months. I felt the breath of fresh air, and I felt a sincere breath of fresh air, not a phony, scripted, uh, pie-in-the-sky breath of fresh air. Who will his manager be? That's a conversation I think that we could table right now. You hear Buck Showalter. You hear some first-time names that are interesting. All you heard is what he's looking for, 
And I'll leave it at that because I think that's a whole different conversation and it will blur the lines of what the message is and the theme and the topic is because we want to get to know Billy Epler. Jeff Fletcher, OC Register, will be joining us later. He covered Billy for his entire tenure. We'll get into all the stuff, what went wrong, you know, the social issues that are, you know, are kind of clouding Billy Epler's candidacy and now his hire. And, you know, what kind of general manager is this guy? Should we be bullish? Should we be bearish? We'll see. Now, I had to talk to him before the press conference. I wish I talked to him after. It wasn't possible. But I think you'll get a good feel of Billy Epler from Jeff Fletcher, who covered him and has no agenda anymore because he's out on the West Coast and we're out here on the East Coast. So let's take a quick break. When we return, the starting pitching market is getting wild. And the Mets lost a friend and an emotional component of what has been their success over the last seven or eight years. I'm not upset about it, nor should you be. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. Dear Mets fans, this is one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. New York has been my home for the last six years, and through both the good times and bad, my love for you all in this place never wavered. This rehab and free agency process was both eye-opening and humbling. I was both flattered by all the outside interests, yet couldn't process what it would mean or how hard it would be to leave New York City. But after countless days of thought, I feel signing with the Angels is the best fit for me at this point in my career. I sincerely want to thank the fans for their unbelievable support. I wish we could have given you all even more to cheer about. Playing in New York has been the best experience of my life. The kid from a small town in Texas, this place changed me forever. I'll never forget it, and I thank you all for it. I also want to thank the Mets organization for trading for me and blessing me with this opportunity. Thank you to my teammates, coaches, support staff, and all others I probably forgot to mention here. New York was my home for a long time, and I'll always appreciate how this Texan was welcomed there. I'll always be pulling for the Mets until I'm playing against you. Syndergaard works a 1-2-3 inning in his first outing in the big leagues in nearly two years. We're back, and I got to tell you, I'm so happy I did this on uh, on the, on this day that I didn't do this earlier in the week. So as I go to break, I check the Twitter, and uh, was the Twitter? Do I sound like Francesca? Because that I'm teasing it up over here. So Mike Francesca's on Twitter. We haven't heard from him in ages, and I guess he came out saying good riddance to Noah Syndergaard, and you know Syndergaard leaving, and Syndergaard responded, you know, just a little bit ago, saying, "Are you still alive?" And then I guess Francesca went deep down and said. You know, the Mets have been without Syndergaard for a while. And uh, a little funny uh, WWE, I'm the WWF guy. I, I grew up when it was WWF uh, type of uh, Twitter exchange on a Sunday, uh, Saturday morning. I, day early, I'm even off. So you got to love that. And, uh, you know, Twitter is such a cesspool. It's such a negative place. It's just an unhealthy place. But it could be, be a funny place if everything is put into the proper context. I'm sure that Mike will be blocked. By Syndergaard now, anybody who's covered Syndergaard, and I haven't really interacted with him, uh, I've heard some things about him at events. He's not, he's a strange guy, and that's doesn't matter to you know in terms of his his performance on the field. But he was he was prickly with the media, and some of it was well deserved. But I also think you know not everybody was against him there. Uh, I I don't I I don't know this to be for the fact, but I don't I think getting away from this environment and the media certainly probably played a part into him leaving. But when we look at Syndergaard leaving, the reaction by Mets fans was hysterical. 
And they're fans. They're nostalgic for what he did. And I'm going to tell you off the bat with Noah Syndergaard. And I don't want to make this too long because I want to get to Jeff Fletcher and the real topic of the day, which is Billy Epler and the new front office, head of the front office, the new general manager. When Noah Syndergaard came up and what he did to help that team down the stretch in 2015, I think Noah Syndergaard's biggest moment to me And I will always say, 2015, there were two big moments that the Mets got to the World Series. And neither one of them happened in the Cubs series. It was DeGrom hanging in there in Game 5 because Syndergaard was warming up to come in when it looked like DeGrom was about to have the wheels come off and the Mets were going to get blown there. The doors were going to blow open and they were going to lose to the Dodgers. And then when DeGrom was able to battle through six innings, And Syndergaard came in in the seventh, bing, bang, boom, and blew the Dodgers away and bridged the gap for the two innings of Familia. And I remember thinking, I wish that Terry Collins would bring him out a second inning. And he didn't. And I was a little nervous about Familia going two innings, but Familia did a great job there. A little bit of, uh, if you remember, just throw some history in there, Chase Sutley's ball. Maybe there was the baseball gods blowing that down, but that's for another day. Noah Syndergaard, and then the following year when he came back and how dominant he was. I know everybody likes to talk about him throwing over the head of Alcides Escobar, and he had Moxie, and he was Thor, and he certainly was part of the thunder of the Mets. And then he comes, he has this great year, he's throwing 100 with this nasty 92-mile-an-hour slider. But everybody always used to say, he's going to break down, he's going to break down. And then he goes out there, and I think it was Tom House that was criticizing him about how he was bulking up, shirtless, making, he wanted to throw harder, harder, 102, 103, 104. Caveman baseball. And what does he do? He tears his lat. And he was still very good after he came back from the lat issue. But he wasn't the same. And I always had an issue because I always said, why I liked DeGrom all along was DeGrom was out there about learning the trade, getting better and pitching, whereas Syndergaard and Harvey were about cartoon characters. The Dark Knight, Thor, and it was fun, and, and that's their prerogative. That's who they are. Uh, and in a lot of ways, Zach Wheeler, I got to give him credit, he's similar to DeGrom. He stayed out of all that. Generic, just honing his craft, and arguably he should have won a Cy Young Award. I was wrong about not bringing him back, but be that as it may, that's another story for another day. So Syndergaard was very valuable, and he will go down in Mets history as a as a huge component to the 2015 pennant winners. Look, pennant winners always have a special place in our heart. They're not completely 100% in the pantheon, but they're special. And Noah will go down as a character and a figure in Mets history, and you'll never take that away. But let's be frank here, and let's be honest. If anybody penciled him in for being the Noah Syndergaard of 2016 going into next year, you were delusional. I never thought he'd ever be that guy again. I was hoping he could be the second half 2019 Noah Syndergaard because quite honestly, he was a below league average pitcher most of that year. He's pitched two innings in two years. And here's the facts. I understand he had a very difficult return from Tommy John surgery, just like Zach Wheeler and just like Zach Wheeler, Uh, He's probably going to have some tough times coming back this year. And maybe a year from now, he's back to being Thor from 2016. I'm not sure. Because unlike uh, Wheeler, who I think his velocity has gone up since the Tommy John, and he's he's throwing harder now, Syndergaard was always about throwing 100. 
He was never about throwing 92, 93, 94, 95. So you're asking a guy similar to Matt Harvey, who had a very serious thoracic outlet syndrome injury that I think is probably the reason, more so than Tommy John, why he declined. I think that's the reason he declined, not the off-the-field stuff. Here's a guy that used to average 97 to 98. He's down to 94, 95. He did not throw any sliders. His changeup's about 88 miles an hour. He's going to have to see what the the differentiation is from the fastball and the slider. You can't throw a 92-mile-an-hour slider and throw a 95-mile-an-hour fastball. That's three miles an hour difference. And, I mean, if it has that nasty bite, I guess it doesn't matter in, in, in movement and location. But I'm not sure. And he was always good at, at, at command and control. But when you're a fastball pitcher and your fastball is five miles an hour in some cases less, that's a big deal. Everybody throws 100 now. So Thor throwing 100 is not a big deal anymore. It's how he can pitch. Now, maybe he goes out to Anaheim and it looks like they pitched him on a program where they could get him back in a six-man rotation. I get it. Mets are probably not going to do that. I'm not sure I agree with that because it screws everybody else up. And they could focus on his health, and he's got 125 to 140 innings where, you know, he could build himself up. And it's about, look, this decision was about Syndergaard, about him. I'm not begrudging him on that. He's going out to California because that's a good situation for him. He could talk about winning all he wants, and maybe they'll compete and win. Maybe the you know the A's now are, are falling back. Who knows what Seattle is? Houston, you know, they may lose some key components to that team, so the West might be wide open. I get that. He could win, and then he can make a postseason start. This is about him getting that big contract, similar to what DeGrom got and DeGrom wants to get again and what have you. So it's nothing more than that. And the fact that he did not want to wait past the physical, because he was afraid if he failed that physical or he failed the team's physical after the deadline to accept the qualifying offer, he'd be out in the cold. That tells you that physical was not 100%. How many players who are confident in their health would worry about that physical? Because if he had other deals on the table that would have taken potentially longer to work out past that qualifying offer deadline, what do you care? You're healthy, right, Noah? He's not. He knows that. So the version of Noah Syndergaard that you guys are upset about, he don't exist anymore. Just like Matt Harvey doesn't exist anymore. And let's hope that DeGrom still exists. I think he does. I'm not as worried. And I think he knows how to pitch. And he's pitched at lower velocities. But at some point, those versions go away and they don't come back. And you could hope for it and you could expect it. But that's mismanaged expectations. Facts are facts. He was not confident about the physical. His velocity is down. He has not thrown a slider. Can he be a different pitcher? I don't know. My, my, my gut tells me no. He was league average in 2019. Slightly below. He was horrible in the first half. Had an ERA over five at the All-Star break. There was all this talk about him being traded. He had a whole blowout with Brody and that former administration. And then he pitched very well in the second half. And we kind of forgot about it. And we always, myself included, and I thought him, I expected him to come in and be hopefully some kind of version of 2019 and have the ability to to provide top of the rotation performances. I was okay with that. You know, you have DeGrom, you had Stroman. Walker was pitching well. You weren't expecting him. He was going to be your addition. I never expected him to be DeGrom anymore. I was hoping... And then when I knew he had a setback in Tommy John surgery, I think all of us did. 
So the point here is this. I'm not crying over this. If he took the qualifying offer, great. Cohen doesn't seem to have a problem with money. He talked about that at the press conference. If he's not worried about money, then that means it's not going to impact the team being able to invest in important areas, in the roster, and other areas. The only time I worry about money is when a move impacts or all the chips are put on a move to work out 100% and then you rob Peter to pay Paul. If you were robbing Peter to pay Paul to get Syndergaard an $18.4 million qualifying offer, bad move. What the Mets said is, I don't know what this guy's all about. I'm not going to cry if he leaves. And guess what? They got a draft pick. Now maybe that extra draft pick will allow them to go out and sign a qualifying offer candidate because now they have another draft pick. That's a good thing. So in the end, the Mets really couldn't lose. And Noah even dispelled it. So I'm, I'm, I'm glad he did. And if he's being politically correct, God bless him. Because he should. Because the Mets were good. This town was good to him. And he didn't give us a lot back. And sometimes he was a little bit too cartoonish for my taste. But that whole narrative, oh, they, didn't, they didn't contact him. They were too busy with their own affairs. You know, you can't coddle everybody. You know, I offered you $18.4 million. You pitched two innings in two years. You pitched two of them this year. One was awful the last day of the season. The other one was okay. What more do you want? That's a lot of money. I told you guys I wouldn't have offered him the qualifying offer, and I would have tried to sign him for a bridge deal because I didn't think he'd be that great next year. I thought he'd be okay because now you're kind of expecting 2021 and 2022 and give him two years, $24 because I looked at Corey Kluber. I said, that's the market. Now, the market exploded. And he doesn't have a shoulder issue, so that changes the, 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 the situation a little bit. But uh, not upset. Now, where it does get tricky is you need pitching. And here's the numbers I'm going to give you. Andrew Haney, and I said last week I apologize that he signed with the Angels with the Dodgers. Eight and a half million dollars. Guy had an ERA over seven. So we complain about Billy Epler. Oh, you never won any. You know, probably, you know, who cares about the process? All I hear about pro- is Haney process. There's no result, but I guess he's a pitcher. It doesn't matter. Charlie Morton's making twelve, tw- making $20 million for one year. Eduardo Rodriguez is making $15 million on a five-year deal. Noah Syndergaard's at 21. Verlander's at 25. Adam Wainwright's at 17 and a half. So where does Marcus Stroman come in? And I think you have to be honest. Now, if a, uh, a Scherzer or somebody like that, I know Gosman's out there, Robbie Ray... And I'm, I'm not going to break down all these guys today because I'm just going to talk about the market. And I don't know. I would like to re-sign Stroman, and I'll tell you why. Tough to take uh, sometimes with his persona. Doesn't really matter to me because I worry about the field. I understand he's tough to take. But he has put a lot of time into his body and learning his body and eating right and really being in tune. And I think you saw Taiwan Walker talk about it on Twitter about how Stroman has helped him quite a bit. Durability and health and addressing, not just from a surgery standpoint, your overall uh, uh, preparation for your starts is as important. And that goes much deeper than just throwing long toss. I think Stroman is into that. You saw a little bit about that, about how he's talked about uh, recovery and diet and all this other stuff. And... um, I think he can hold up on a long-term deal. I don't think he's going to be a number one. I think he's a number three. But I think he could give you quality. I don't think he's a bad teammate. I think if that's the kind of uh, 
influence he has on other pitchers, that's good. But you know me, I don't like going more than three years for pitchers. You're probably going to have to go five. So I think he could get up to 25 a year. So you're looking at five years, 125, maybe six years, 150. 7175, I would say that would have to be an option. And I, I don't know if I'd go there. Maybe you can get the higher AAV with lower years. Because if you look at where the market's going, if Verlander's at 25 and Morton's at 20, Stroman falls somewhere in between. I mean, he's not going to be like uh, Rodriguez uh, and whatnot. And I know that uh, Jose Barrios, and I'm going to just look at that guy real quick because, you know, that, you know, uh, he got a seven year deal worth what was it 130 131 uh, you know what I, that might be where you're gonna have to go that's where you're gonna have to go it's funny i i have to do a show now and i have to do a show with a calculator like i'm figuring out uh my budget that's about 18 million a year the AA, what's important to stroman average annual value or years a lot of players tell me years are important it gives you some certainty uh you know it sounds like he wants to be in one place and settle. He has been a little unsettled since he got traded to the Mets. And what's, what makes me laugh is that he criticizes the Yankees. That's so great. And I think he still holds... Stroman holds grudges with the media. And I think ever since Brian Cashman said he wouldn't make their rotation, I don't think he's ever forgiven the Yankees. Now, money talks, and you heard again Steve Cohen, great quote yesterday. I think it was on uh, the Moose and Maggie show. It's always, it's always about the money. Um, none of those numbers scare me because, again, I know the owner is willing to invest and go above the, the luxury tax in order to do the – in order to have a competitive team while you're rebuilding your farm system and your infrastructure, you're going to have to play what Jim Bowden calls checkbook baseball. And checkbook baseball is fun. It's fun in the offseason. It's exciting to bring new players in. It's exciting to have hope. Uh, it doesn't always work out. A lot of times it doesn't. But it can. Look, the Arizona Diamondbacks won a World Series playing a little bit of checkbook baseball. Yankees have won it in 2009. They had a little bit more infrastructure than the Mets. The Arizona Diamondbacks, not so much. So you could play that. You just can't. It can't be your only thing. While you're playing that, you've got to do the other things. And I think they will. And if one thing Billy Epler is good at is he was around when that metamorphosis of the Yankees from just going out and buying players to Cashman really taking power and control from the Tampa faction. That's all they wanted to do and start to say, we need to be a component of Moneyball. We need to be good on these other things. If we start to master the draft and player development and cost control players and and value acquisitions with our money, being able to go out and target free agents like Mark Teixeira, and CC Sabathia, good free agent signings, then we're going to be the Death Star. Now, it didn't always work out, but they make the playoffs and go back to that probabilistic thinking. Even with the best team, you've got only an 85, uh, 15%, 16, maybe 20% chance of winning the World Series. That's probably high. That's where you want to be. But in the interim, you're going to have to take some more risk. You're going to have to, there's going to be some contracts this offseason that I think may not be great from it. In, in value in a vacuum and you may not like them in two or three years and you may say "Ugh, I wish we didn't have to do it if we only knew but you don't have a crystal ball I don't neither does Billy Epler neither does Steve Cohen so 
you know, to me, uh, that's where we're at with the pitching market. You're going to have to go in and you're going to have to spend big. I would love to see what Steven Matz wants. Never wanted them to let him go. Uh, his numbers were very similar to his Mets numbers. I know he had some offense behind him, so he won 14 games. Solid guy. I don't need aces everywhere. I'm very concerned, and again, if it doesn't impact them improving other areas of the roster, giving Max Scherzer big money when he couldn't go more than five innings in a postseason game, and his health, you know, he's had some issues, but that's a one-year checkbook baseball move. I think that's the perfect word, checkbook baseball. It's Jim Bowden over at MLB Network, former GM. They're going to have to play that. They're going to keep their prospects, it sounds like. And they're going to continue. They have a golden opportunity to have a huge June draft and really set themselves up well for the future. A lot of positives, guys. And I'm not being a Pollyannish here. You got a GM with a scouting background. You've got an owner who said he'll spend money and compete and win in the interim, not looking to rebuild. An owner committed to while he's doing that, build the infrastructure. Might take a few years. And you're out of that transitory purgatory you could see when cohen said in his his real and he's right in the real world it takes six to nine months to hire somebody for a senior level position they baseball wants you to do in two weeks he's right and he came in november 1st last year and he had to do all this stuff and compete and win with an antiquated uh head of baseball operations in sandy alderson is there any any more doubt that sandy alderson is an emeritus position he can't play he can't be in the sauce every day I don't know if he could have done it when he was here the first time. I think he got dated pretty quick a couple of years in. I think as you look back, you're going to see that. Now you've got someone who's got a ton of experience with good organizations, uh, has had a, a history of what doesn't work, and now maybe has a better situation where you can see where what does work. Very interesting where the starting pitching market will go. He's going to be in on it. Does he go the, the big fish route, the veteran like Scherzer? Does he go safer? I think Stroman is a safer pick, but you may look at him as an overpay as you get later into those years because you could look at a guy that maybe he's going to... I could see him falling to league average because there's a lot of contact there. You know, Gosman is a guy that ugh, he's had, you know, he's been up and down. Desclafani, up and down. Robbie Ray, you know, enticing but expensive. Are you ready to put him as your, you know, ace with the Grom? Really exciting. We have to dive more into that. That's not for today. Today was more conceptual about where the market's going and Stroman and what have you. And, and really Syndergaard and my feelings on Syndergaard. So long show. We have way more to get to. We're not even close to being done. Let's take a quick break. When I return, Jeff Fletcher, Orange County Register, what does he think about Billy Epler? What happened there? What went wrong? What can we expect? You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon. And enjoy the rest of the show. We're back and joining me. Uh, who better to learn about Billy Epler and get a little perspective from the West Coast about Noah Syndergaard 
Then Jeff Fletcher, Angels beat reporter for the OC Register. He's been out in the Bay Area for well over a decade. Also covered the Giants out there in the A's. And Jeff, uh, so Billy Epler for Noah Syndergaard. Not a bad trade for uh, the Angels out there. Welcome to the program. How you doing? Yeah, pretty good. Neither one of them have pitched too much lately. So we'll, that's we'll right. See. <laughs> you and I have pitched about as much as some of these guys, and I can't throw more than 50 miles yeah. an hour. But um, so, uh, you know, the Syndergaard thing, uh, you know, it's a bit of a surprise on the money. I'm not totally surprised that he went somewhere else. There was always rumors. Um, we'll start there, you know, because I think that's got more of the shock value from the media. And it's really thrown the pitching market into a crazy situation. You saw Verlander signing. Now there's, you know, look at all the salaries going and how they're going. Like, what do you, you know, you were on a call with Perry Manizzi in the uh, yesterday. Um, I'm a little surprised because this, this is not the same Syndergaard from 2016. I think you guys would all agree with that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think every year we are always surprised that pitching costs a lot of money. I mean, it just happens all the time. I mean, uh, Matt Harvey got $11 million after really being hurt a lot and not being good for a while. And, uh, Andrew Heaney just signed eight and a half million dollars with the Dodgers. You know, people in New York know that he was kind of a disaster. He was certainly a disaster at Anaheim too. He hasn't really been that good for a while. So uh, I think that just that's what the going rate is for pitching. And, and the Angels are taking the chance. You know, certainly it's a higher number on Syndergaard, you know, for one year, but it's only one year. So I think that, you know, if, if he were to get a longer term deal, it would certainly be for less per year. But I think that's kind of the trade off the Angels made is they're willing to to make the big investment for one year and just not be trapped into it for a long time. If, if he can't come back. I think one of the things I tell everybody in New York who, and I haven't spent a lot of time on the West coast. I've been now there a couple of times, but I was in the Laguna beach a couple of years ago. It's, it's paradise. I know it's expensive. I know that, you know, the taxes, I get all the things people knock about West coast in California, but I, I think there's such an advantage, not only being in California, being in Anaheim, being in LA, that kind of area and, and I'm not surprised that when it comes down to people talk, well, it's only a couple of million extra bucks. It sounds like the Angels put a plan together to kind of get him healthy and put him back to where he wants to be. And let's face it, you know, no knock. I'm a lifetime New Yorker. Uh, it's a hell of a lot better weather where you are than where I am right now. Let's put it that way. That is certainly true. I always say that uh, New York costs just as much as L.A., but you don't even get the weather. So That's right. You know uh it's it's a little it's it's different it's definitely different uh, i think one of the the things that appeals to people about the angels is that you know they're going to use a six-man rotation next year uh so that really kind of limits the stress on a guy coming back from an injury he's going to be able to get some extra days off and uh you know certainly there's a little bit less uh pressure probably to come into a place where you know the expectations are not super high and uh you know $21 million is a lot of money. So I, I, it's hard to, to to say we can't understand why a guy would take $21 million. So, you know, it's uh, we'll, we'll just have to see what happens. It was interesting because it sounded like the physical wasn't a shoe in And usually you think these physicals are like, all right, they're just going to go and knock on your elbow and see. But it sounded like from the deal that there had to be a sense of urgency because they wanted to go back to the Mets. Uh, I'm assuming, have you spoken to Syndergaard? All, all truth be told, he can be a little prickly with the media. So get ready for that part with that. But have you spoken to Syndergaard? And, and it sounds like they feel pretty confident that uh, they're not getting damaged goods out there. Uh, well, he's supposed to talk to us uh, tomorrow, Friday. Um, so I have not yet. But, uh, you know, I mean, anytime you get a pitcher 
there's a risk. And a certainly guy coming off Tommy John surgery, there's a risk. And there also could be a risk that he's healthy, but just, you know, it takes some time to come back from Tommy John surgery. You know, you see a lot of guys, Chris Sale this year was not himself. Um, so there's a chance that the Angels pay all this money and they get Cindergard's kind of, you know, recovery season where he's healthy sure. and he's just trying to find everything. And then he goes somewhere else in 2023 20, and he's good again. So, you know, that, that happens too. When we look at Billy Epler, who, uh, look, was nobody's first choice if you were talking about the Mets and where their whole search for GM. But when I was thinking about who to speak to, I mean, you covered his entire tenure. Now, I'm big on guys having scouting backgrounds. I, I'm, I'm not against analytics, but I, I wanted somebody who had it from, from a scouting pedigree. Epler certainly has that with the Yankees and what have you. And ironically, in Joe Torre's book, he was the guy that was the stack guy. And I look at his resume. That's not really the case. I look at what the Angels just did with Syndergaard, and I know that his tenure was far more than that. We'll get into that. But it's a similar type of move to what he did with Matt Harvey, I think Trevor Cahill, you know, maybe Syndergaard's a little bit different in terms of his potential or his upside than those guys when he got it. But, um, you know, one of the things we're hearing here is that Billy Epler had issues, but it's not an easy place to work. The owner's not an easy guy to work for. Um, talk a little bit about Epler, your experience, and, and your reaction when you saw that after being an agent for, what, 60 days, he's, he's back in the sauce here with not only a baseball team, but the New York Mets. Not an easy place to get back into the sauce. Let's put it that way. Yeah, well, hopefully he does better than the last time the Mets hired an agent as their That's GM. Right. So he's not really <laughs> it's a little bit less agent. of an agent, a little yes. less than an agent. That's right. Um, well, I, this is kind of my standard thing when I tell people about what happened to the Angels under Billy Epler. And this is why he had a really, really difficult spot is that uh, three things basically happened sort of at the same time, right when he took over. Uh, one is the Angels farm system was terrible. It, it was kind of deteriorating and it hit the bottom. It was basically the worst farm system in baseball for you know, like four out of five years. Two is uh, Mike Trout went from being just a really good player, like a Mookie Betts, Christian Yelich type, really good player who you could possibly trade if things aren't working to being Mickey Mantle, who all of a sudden you cannot trade and you can also not rebuild around him. And if your farm system is terrible, when you have that guy, you're kind of stuck because you can't really trade other major leaguers to improve your farm system, you know, like the way the Braves did it. And, uh, you can't really uh, trade from your farm system to improve the major league team. So you're stuck. So the only way you can really improve is by trying to get lucky uh, on, you know, smaller deals and free agency. And the problem with free agency is the third thing that happened right before Apple got here is the Albert Pujols deal went started to look really bad and the Josh Hamilton deal blew up entirely. So now all of a sudden the owner is going, geez, I don't really want to spend, you know, $100 million on anybody anymore. So they identified a very few kind of free agents that they thought were like low risk, really safe deals. Uh, you know, Garrett Cole, Zach Wheeler, uh, Patrick Corbin, they went after, Nate Evaldi, they went after, and they didn't get any of these guys. So then you're left with, all right, well, do we want to still spend on like Dallas Keuchel? who's maybe more risky. Look what happened to Dallas Keuchel, you know, this year he was terrible. Sure. And they said, well, let's just not do that. So we didn't get the top guys we want. So let's go to kind of the one year, you know, hope for a flyer guys. And pretty much those never worked. And uh, they had a lot of injuries too. So when you add all that up together, it was a really tough tightrope. He had to walk with the angels and uh, it just, you know, he needed to get some breaks and he, he just didn't get them. So as a result, it didn't look very good. Yeah. And when 
with drafting, and I know that I think this first couple of years, they might not have had the draft picks because of those uh, free agent deals. I, I think one of the things, and I'm curious your thoughts, and, and this is for any organization, and I'm not defending them. Look, results are the results. They weren't good. They were mediocre, slightly below 500. Developing players is such a big part of it. You could draft the best draft in the world. You don't do any development. Those guys may never make it. And I hear all sorts of reports from scouts now. They're very disappointed in the you know, teaching of fundamentals, Arizona Fall League. I hear all sorts of things. Everybody just focuses on throwing, not pitching. I don't know what's real and what's not, but that's a narrative. Uh, to a certain degree, you know, were the resources there to help, not just from the analytics side, but to help with player development? It's, it takes money now. This is a big money game. It's not just the payroll. Is, I mean, is that an excuse or is that maybe part of what was he was facing in Anaheim uh, with all that was going on, you know, with those big contracts you mentioned? Well, definitely they did not do a good job of developing. Uh, you know, it was either some somewhere from the drafting to the developing of the guys, something was going wrong. And there are like 50 people whose hands are in the pot, you know, in that. So it's hard to really say, oh, that was Billy Epler's fault or that was the owner's fault or, you know, that was anybody's fault. I think there were probably a lot of things that were going wrong. And uh, I don't think that anybody can come in and fix them. He did, he did improve some things with the farm system. I think that they they started using a lot more analytic stuff, you know, in terms of their farm system than they had previous to him, which, you know, they might've done whoever was there just because the technology became more available, but uh, he did really try to improve a lot of things. I just think that takes time. You know, nobody, no new GM is going to come in and snap his fingers and all of a sudden make the player development system way better. It's just a a huge machinery that, that just takes a lot of work and a lot of time to get it, you know, the direction changed. Do you, and this, this is where it gets tricky. You know, there's been some talk here also about, you know, from a cultural standpoint, you had the Tyler Skaggs, unfortunate situation, Mickey Calloway, which I think is much more than Epler, uh, the spider tack thing with the clubhouse guy, you know, there's so much in each of those things that's larger scale that all of us could debate. I'm not saying he's blameless, but I I thought it was kind of like, are we really going there? Like, is that like, I'm not saying that we shouldn't bring that up, but, does that concern you? Is that should that be a concern because those things happened under his watch? Well, I can take those one at a time. The the clubhouse guy with the spider tack, he was basically doing what everybody does. Sure. That was that was a ridiculous story. And uh, you know, they they wanted to pick somebody and they picked somebody, and then it comes out a couple of years later, oh geez, everybody does this. So <laughs> That was kind of silly. Worst kept secret. Anybody talked to? Yeah, a few I know. Pictures? It was kind of the worst kept secret. The, even Jared Cole. That was kind of like, okay, was, I heard about that. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. I just it came to mind. <laughs> um, the thing with Tyler Skaggs, obviously, that is a really tragic situation. You can question like who should have known. Um, it's hard for me to really say that uh, that that's anybody's fault. I mean, that's. We knew two individual people, you know, Eric Kay, the, the PR guy, and Tyler Skaggs obviously had a problem. Sure. And they obviously, you know, kept it away from a lot of people. I'm sure, you know, I can't believe that Billy Upper would not have tried to help those people, right. both of them, if, if he had known they had the problem. So <clears throat> I don't really put any blame for him on that one. And uh, was there, oh, Mickey Calloway, I mean, I think he obviously learned a lesson that when you're, when you're hiring somebody, you need to ask some different kind of questions than you're used to. Not just, you know, does he know how to teach somebody how to throw a curveball, but you need to kind of get into more like what are his interpersonal relationships like? Because it, obviously it was no secret really 
the, what Mickey Callaway was doing. And mm-hmm. uh, certainly the Mets should have known about it before they hired him. And sure. the Angels should have known about it before they hired him too. So I think that probably he's learned. And uh, anybody he hires from now on, I'm sure he will definitely look into to their behavior and not just what they do on a baseball field. Jeff Fletcher, OC Register, a couple of things before I let you run. Uh, there actually might be another Angels connection. There's rumors that Brad Ausmus might be coming aboard as well as the manager. Uh, any thoughts about, you know, there was rumors that Epler was interested in Buck Showalter as a win-now guy. Uh, managers are tricky now. I don't know where to go anymore with managers. Sometimes I feel like Mike Socha's been out of the game a few years, but he's a dinosaur. I talked to someone who knows him. It's like, he's a dinosaur now. I'm like, well, is he really? Um, Buck Showalter, these are guys that, you know, growing up in a game, like these are, you know, guys that turn franchises around. I mean, Socha was one of the best, ma- it was used to be the best manager in baseball. Osmus is tricky, smart guy, but controversial. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, where would you see as a guy who's covered Osmus and maybe knew a little bit about Epler's managerial tendencies and what he liked, and obviously Socha was handed to him, where would you think maybe where he'd go and, and how do you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I think that he, he he definitely, when he hired Brad Osmus, I think he really wanted somebody who was smart and into the analytics and would talk through all the stuff that, that he was really into. And I don't believe necessarily that that was what went wrong, the fact that Osmus was doing that. I think they had a lot of other things go wrong. <clears throat> and then they had a player die in the middle of that season. So sure. uh, it's hard to, you know, and that team, basically, they were still over 500 late July, and then they had a bad week. And I, I feel like just what happened is all the collective emotion of the whole team just dropped and, the, and they just couldn't do it anymore. And then they just, you know, cratered. And is that the manager's fault or is that just unavoidable, you know, when you have that kind of tragedy? I don't know. We, we never really got another chance to see what he did. I don't think it was his fault. I think if it would have been up to Billy Epler, he wouldn't have fired him. But I think that Joe Madden was available and Artie Moreno likes, you know, big fancy names. And he saw the way the team was kind of floundering. And he said, Hey, I've got a chance to hire Joe Madden. I'm going to hire him. And I think if Joe Madden would have not been available, that they might not have fired Osmus at all. So, uh, you know, and as for the, you know, like Buck Showalter, I think at the point where they, they got rid of Osmus, you know, Artie probably made it clear to Billy that I'm, I want to look at, you know, more experienced guys or guys with quote unquote names. So I think that that's how Buck Showalter ended up in that conversation. But, it, you know, that was pretty much a formality because you know, Joe Madden was going to get that job anyway. So to answer your question is who he would hire with the Mets. I have no idea, but I think if it was up to him, he would go more towards a Brad Osmus type than a, a Joe Madden, Buck Showalter type. But, you know, I think every, people do what their bosses want them to do in the world. So and, and guess that's, why that's what You're, the question is really going to be. Right. Exactly. And guess what? It sounds like, look, you know, the Mets is that's New York's a tough place. The Mets is a, is a tough place to work. Sounds like Anaheim's not that easy. I mean, he's got some, it's not like he had a, a, a I mean, we've heard things about Artie Moreno. We don't really talk a lot about it out here. Uh, are we overstating it? I mean, Anaheim is not, they're like, they're kind of like the Mets in the sense where you got the Dodgers and the Dodgers now are the big fish. And you've got Artie Moreno and Steve Cohen may be similar to him. He's got money and, and desire and sounds like he wants to be involved. Like maybe he's got a little bit of that, you know, experience coming from Anaheim to New York of what he could expect. Um, well, let me just, I, I asked another prominent baseball person who would have been resume wise, a perfect fit when the angels GM job was open last year. And he, his answer to me was work for Artie Moreno. No, thank you. 
So it's it's a tough it's a tough. Sometimes job. I wonder, yeah. you know, is that a reflection on the person or the owner? I wonder. Look, everybody wants to have an easy job, but are there any easy jobs in baseball anymore? You've covered the game, no, obviously a lot longer than me. Are there really any easy jobs? You know, like when it comes down to it. Yeah, I mean, when it comes down to it, I'm if I'm Billy Epler, I would have liked my nice cushy job as an agent. I mean, geez, you can make a lot of money and nobody fires sure. you and. Uh, you, you don't have to work as hard the whole year and there's not a bunch of people hounding you all the time about uh, what a bad job you're doing. And that seems like a way better job to me lifestyle wise, but you know, I guess he wants to, the fact that he's wanting to jump back into the pool tells you that he's, he's ready for it. Last question. Uh, will we see base? Will, will there be a hot stove on December 2nd? And I predict and tell me if you, you agree that we're going to see a flurry of activity and an opening of the transaction log somewhere closer to Valentine's day than new year. Do you agree with that? I think we're in for a little bit of a long layoff or am I off well, base? I think it, it sounds like there's definitely going to be a lockout on December 2nd, just because there's kind of no reason not to have one because there's no real deadline that you're not losing anything. The real deadline is when you would start to lose games. And I think that is probably, probably before Valentine's day, I would say that we would, they should probably have an agreement to where the transactions can come back open probably late January to, you know, have time. Cause you probably need like a month of all the transactions to happen. And, uh, and then you could probably start spring training like March 1st and still be okay. So uh, like February 1st, maybe somewhere around there, January 25th. I think that that seems kind of reasonable to me. Watch what Thanksgiving Eve, you're ready to get ready for a nice long weekend and they'll sign Marcus Stroman or, you know, uh, there'll be a, you know, Joe Madden will quit. So you're in for a busy winter, I think, over there in Anaheim. I appreciate you taking some time. Have a great Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, who knows? Maybe there'll be a Mets-Angels connection. We could do this again, Jeff. Appreciate it. Well, this, this is the first time in uh, four years that I've not had a new manager or new general manager search. So I've kind of enjoyed that. It sounds it. like the Mets. It sounds like the Mets. Look, I got to tell you, I, you were the perfect guy when I was, who can I talk to about? I'm like, it's got to be. He's been there a long time. You've known all these guys. It's a chaotic situation, and uh, you got the Dodgers across town that uh, everything turns out well. So uh, I feel like there, there, there are a ton of parallels, I believe, between the Angels and Mets. I think they've been going on parallel tracks on opposite coasts for probably the last six or seven years. Just need the weather, Jeff. I got to tell you, never don't keep going back. Laguna Beach, it's expensive, but if you could spend a couple of days out in California, it's a beautiful thing. Listen, enjoy the holidays. Thank you so much, Jeff. Let's do it again, my friend. All right. Thanks for having me. And that's Jeff Fletcher, Orange County Register. You can check him out on Twitter. If you want to look at some Angels news or hear Noah Syndergaard uh, at Jeff Fletcher OCR on Twitter. All right. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon. And enjoy the rest of the show. We're back. Final thoughts. Uh, What a fun show. I'm so glad I did this uh, today, not earlier in the week. I was planning on doing this a couple of nights ago. Um, 
Anyway, so you heard from Jeff Fletcher, and what a pleasure. I just want to do a quick wrap-up here because we've gone way over the hour, and hopefully it's worth it for you, and, and hopefully you guys are okay with that because I try to keep these to an hour. Uh, sometimes I really feel in this town, we, we, we beat people up on the way out the door. We don't give them a balanced review. I thought Jeff Fletcher was very balanced in his review of Billy Epler. I think the big takeaway is that he's coming from a similar tough situation that he's in, he's bring, taking on in New York. And remember what I said, you need someone who could come in here. I said this for weeks and, and for a couple of years now that understands the enormity of what they're getting into and the time in the team history that you're you're at. You're at that 2000 Red Sox time and a fan base and a media that's kind of converging on you and in a demanding owner and, and crazy expectations. And obviously player, you know, farm system, the big league roster and the duality of trying to do both at the same time. So I thought he outlined it really well. And I think I never thought of that. Like Billy Epler might not be the perfect choice because we don't know who else was out there. And I certainly know that if we had an inkling to who everybody was in front of us, that really was a serious candidate. It'd be interesting to look at that. I don't think we're ever going to find that out, at least not now. He may not be the perfect choice, and he's certainly not a choice that any of us, myself included, threw out there. But I think the more you hear about him, the more you think he's the right choice when all things are considered. And that's how I'll leave it. And I think you've learned a little bit about him today, and and hopefully you've enjoyed that. We set up the starting pitching market. What's next? Well, we have Thanksgiving coming up, and um, I don't know if I'm going to get to you guys before Thanksgiving. So if I don't have a good Thanksgiving and continue to know that I really appreciate the support. We're continuing to grow. I love our partnership with Fansided and the exposure it's given us over there at RisingApple.com. Those guys are doing great work over at Rising Apple. Check them all out. Check out their 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 you know great opinion content over there, and that's what I love. And you know we're going to continue to grind this out. Who knows? We may start to hear about a manager before Thanksgiving. Maybe there'll be a free agent signing. Look, Thanksgiving's next week, and then the following week you got that December first deadline. I know that typically the sport has like, like most businesses tries to take a step back for the holiday weekend. I don't know if Billy Epler is going to have the chance to even have his turkey. He may need, need to be on the phone with Marcus Stroman. He may need to be on the phone with his new manager. You don't know. So he basically said yesterday, off and running right after the press conference, he's probably on the phone right now while we're doing this as we speak. So if I don't talk to anybody or come to you, not talk to you, have a great Thanksgiving. And all I can tell you is, is that it's going to be a very dynamic time in terms of when the shows are going to pop. We're probably not going to be able to take any time off, nor will we. And we're going to try to come to you with strong opinion on everything that's going on. The pitching market, the new manager, building the roster. I think we need to dive much deeper into what kind of pitchers we're looking at. And I think then we have that December 1st lockout looming, which will slow things down. And then maybe we could take a deep breath and see where things are at. So things are changing really quick and stuff is coming at us. Let's have fun with this. This is the time of the year where there's no baseball being played outside because it's too cold and it's probably some snow in some places already, but there's plenty of hot stove talk in the warm, toasty Talking Mets podcast studio. So hope to hear from you guys. Send me an email at mikesilvatalkingmetspodcast.com and I'd love to hear your thoughts on what you'd like to see done. And we're still trying to get that panel put together. I have some ideas. I've reached out to some people. And I promise you, I haven't forgotten about that. And I'm going to try to make that happen very soon. I have some thoughts. 
All right, I want to thank Jeff Fletcher, OC County Register, uh, OC Register, to, uh, for joining us today. You can check me out all the time at the thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet, at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, now Amazon Music, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, like I said, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com, no G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com, and I want to thank our great partners at Fansided, the Fansided Podcasting Network, and RisingApple.com. Army host Mike Silva, enjoy the rest of your week. If I don't talk to you, enjoy the turkey. Until next time, take care, everybody. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.